0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Transform Sales Podcast. Today, I am so excited to have Udi Letterger with me today. How are you?
1: I'm great, Whistlin. Thanks for having me.
0: Let me tell you a bit about Udi. He is a five-time marketing leader at B2B startups and currently the chief evangelist at Gong. As chief evangelist, Udi oversees Gong's category leadership in revenue intelligence space through bringing new products to market and advancing thought leadership. While serving as Gong's chief marketing officer, he led the creation and leadership of the revenue intelligence category, pioneered an iconic human-centric brand, and led Gong's marketing efforts from zero to hundreds of millions in revenue. Passionate about startups and brands during the day, whiskey and music in the evening, he is also an author, speaker, angel investor, and startup advisor based in San Francisco. Wow. Chief Evangelist Officer. So tell me, how did you get started and how did you get to where you are today?
1: Yeah, so, you know, I'm originally from Israel, uh, the Tel Aviv area, and uh, I served in the Israeli Army for uh, several years, which is kind of uh, an interesting coincidence because the day that we're recording this podcast is Israeli Independence Day. Mm. So when I was in the military, as I was approaching the end of my service, I got recruited by a technology company completely out of the blue. They called my my army office. I have no idea how they got to me. And uh, they wanted a subject matter expert on a certain artillery system that I had been working on. And that's how I got my first job. And in hindsight, it was kind of like a product management job because they recruited me as the expert on the system that they were building a simulator for. And so I had to tell the engineering team what to do to make it feel and look more like the actual missile system that we were simulating. And, um, That's how I got my my first job. And from there, I moved to a more formal product management role at another company that created technologies for the diamond industry, if you believe that. There's a niche for everything these days. So I did that for five years. And as I was doing my product management role, there was not a full-time marketing function at that company. And I started picking up the slack and doing things like organizing events because I needed to speak at them as a product manager and get the news out about our new products. And in hindsight, a lot of that is kind of like evangelism, which will bring us full circle in a minute. But after about four years in that role of product management, I went to my CEO and said, hey, I think the company would benefit from a full-time marketing function. It would elevate everything that we're doing. And I've got just the guy for you. I want to be our first head of marketing. So why don't I recruit someone to replace me in product management and I'll transition into marketing Crazy enough, he agreed. And that's how I got my first marketing role. So I transitioned into my first head of marketing role, did that for a couple of years, and then moved on from there and went on to build five marketing teams at different companies. The most recent one here at Gong, where I've been for almost seven years, I was marketer number one and employee number 13 at a company that's now 1,300 employees. And uh, three months ago, we brought in an awesome new CMO who's seen the next level of growth that we're going into from hundreds of millions in revenue to a billion dollar plus or multi-billion dollars of revenue. And I stepped into a new smaller patch of evangelism, doing a lot of what I love, uh, like speaking opportunities like we're doing right now. I speak a lot of conferences and I'm, I'm building a few interesting things around our upcoming product launches.
0: Mm, wow. So you literally got into this place of product marketing and then by a need for yourself, you stumbled into that marketing functionality. So a lot of times people are in these roles and they see like the stars and the lights and they're like, I can do so much more. I can create this position. I can do this. I can do that. How were you able to really convince your leadership that this was something that they should invest in? And after they invested, how were you able to continue keeping them engaged and excited about what you were doing?
1: So I think there's there's an important message in what you just said, which is I created my own niche. I carved the way, paved the way into what I wanted to do. I think there's an important first lesson there that if you see an empty space, either at your own company or in your industry that you want to fill, find a way of doing it because you'll be the most happiest that you could be at work by doing exactly what you're passionate about. And if you're able to build a case for creating that role, filling that role, you're going to be very, very fulfilled with your work. And I've been lucky that most of my years working have been like that. Uh, The second part is what you asked about. So how do you go about convincing someone to give you that role that either didn't exist or you're completely unqualified for? And there, my advice would be always look at it from their point of view. Mm. When I came to convince my boss uh, at the time that we needed a head of marketing, I explained what the company stood to benefit, how that will bring us more customers, how that will create more brand awareness, how more customers will eventually buy our product, how that will increase our competitive differentiation. And I made a very, very clear case that whether or not he hired me for the job, he understood that we need that function. And then he saw that I was so passionate and obviously sort of well-oriented in that space by then because of my previous role at the company, that it was kind of a natural give to let me run that function. And looking back at my career, I've done that multiple times. Talking with friends, I noticed that Every single role I filled from those first two product manager roles to my five heads of marketing roles to my current chief evangelist role, I created all of those roles. They did not exist before I took them on. So I never replaced anyone in their role. I always created a new role, and I guess that's kind of what I like doing and and what keeps me happy.
0: Yeah, so when you get into that place and you you have this role that you've created, because I'm a visionary, I'm like, yes, I want to do it, I want to do it, I want to do it. But then you get in there and you're like, do I really want this? <laughs> Did I really sign up for this? What are some tips that you can give someone? And whether they have created a role or they're stepping into a new role, how do you really get through those first days of um, the unknown, the uneasy?
1: I think one important thing to do early on is to define what success looks like in the role. So I wasn't always good at this, but definitely now I see the importance. And if you talk with your manager, whatever level that you are, you could be an individual contributor or it can be a, a C-level exec. If you and your manager don't agree on what success looks like, then you'll never know that you succeeded and it kind of doesn't give you any sort of guardrails to go about your day. So you can start by something that's qualitative, but eventually try and hit on something that's quantitative because the quantitative goals, for example, if you're in sales, Obviously, it'll be how many new customers we have, what's our current revenue, what's our current retention rate. Those are the type of targets that sales leaders sign up for in marketing. It can be something around how many qualified opportunities we need this quarter, uh, how are we going to increase our brand awareness, and how are we going to measure that? So agreeing on these things allows you and your manager to track your progress and how you're contributing to the company's success. I think there's this famous Venn diagram that sort of shows what career success looks like, and it's usually the meeting point of three different areas. One of them is things that you're good at. The second is things that you're passionate about doing. And the third is things that your company is willing to pay a lot of money for you to do. So you want to look for that overlap area of those three things. Maybe we'll dive into each of them for just a few seconds. So passion is probably not something you can artificially create. Although I will say that Sometimes you're in a position that you do have to stay in a role or in a company for family or financial or other reasons, whatever they might be. And I think you can talk yourself into being more passionate than you originally were about something, even if you didn't choose this path. And it's probably worth doing. It's probably worth doing. Waking up saying, yes, I get to do this and this is the best thing for me right now and finding that passion. But let's assume that in most forks in the road, you can choose the one that that gives you most passion. The second one is is doing something that you're good at. Now, none of us were born knowing how to sale, do sales or marketing or, or customer success or engineering. We have to get good at that. And so if you're passionate about something, put in the time, get good at that. Educate yourself. There's never been an easier time to learn a profession or a skill with all the online courses, with all the YouTube videos, with all the conferences, with all the access to mentors and coaches and peer groups. There is really no excuse for learning any skill in the world right now. So get really good at what you do, because without that, you're not going to excel. And then the third part is finding something that's really important to the company. So the best way of doing this is really analyzing what are the company business objectives and then deriving from that, what is an area that you could plug into and give the company something that they really need, whether it's pipeline or brand or sales or customer care or uh, building a product, whatever it might be, if you can draw a direct line from the company goals to what you're doing for the company, then you're hitting the spot right there. Sometimes you'll want to take something that you're very passionate about and good at, we talked about that, and find a way to tell a story of why that could be important to the company. You can't like make things completely up, so there has to be a, a real business case there. But you might want to do that sanity check and go sort of tops down from the company's business objectives and also bottoms up from what you're passionate and good about and see how those two things meet. If you do that, then the company's going to appreciate what you're doing. They'll know you're the right person for the job. And you're probably going to get up pretty happy to go to work every day.
0: Wow. That was a whole masterclass in selling yourself internally, because many times that is one of the challenges that people have. It's like, oh, I can sell externally or I can do this marketing thing or I can talk to customers. But when it comes to selling yourself internally, you don't really have the aptitude. You don't have the words, the things that you need to say, but really aligning your passions and strengths, right? Because just because I'm passionate about it doesn't mean that I'm good at it, right? So passions and strengths along with the company's business objectives are really, really important. And so as we talk about this Venn diagram or this internal alignment that individuals should have Talk to us about the internal alignment that you tend to have with your sales organization as well as customer success, because, you know, we hear that sales and marketing should be like peanut butter and jelly, but sometimes it can be like oil and water. So how are you able to drive that internal alignment?
1: Since peanut butter and jelly are definitely a lot tastier than oil and water, that's what we should all be striving for. So I love that analogy. Today, customer success is really considered an extension of sales or of the revenue organization in many, many companies so we can kind of lump them together for the sake of this discussion. So looking at your revenue leader that will usually include customer success, but if not, then obviously you need to work with both of them. This is something I'm very passionate about. Sales and marketing alignment should be very, very strong and should be a huge effort. No, not a huge effort, but should be a huge priority from both sales and marketing leaders. And Mm -hmm. I've been and helped many companies that said that they didn't believe in marketing the ceo or the sales leader didn't believe in marketing but i never met a ceo who didn't believe in sales now <laughs> why is that i think first of all it's the marketer's fault it's it's our fault there are too many marketers that fail to show how they contribute to the business they take on wishy-washy goals that cannot be measured and their contribution to the business cannot be quantified and so it starts with the marketing And with marketing acting that way, it's hard for the CEO or sales leader to see how they contribute to the business and say, yes, I believe and I'm passionate and I want to invest in marketing. So let's start by looking at what we're doing and make it easy for people outside of marketing to understand how are we contributing to the business? Why is it important? Every dollar that we pour into marketing, how is it going to come back as revenue or pipeline? So that's number one. Two, it really, really does require trust and open communications between both the sales and marketing leaders. There's a simple test that I I found works really well. If you want to know if you're well aligned with your counterpart in sales or marketing, do you know how they take their coffee? Just think about that. Do you know if they take it black? Do they add milk? Do they add sugar? Maybe another sweetener. Do they even take tea? Maybe they don't drink beverages at all. If you don't know the answer to these questions, you're not aligned well enough with your sales or marketing leader think about that. If you're not having a weekly coffee, if you can't go down and order their usual because you're meeting with them so often that at this point, you know how they take their beverage, you're not meeting with them often enough. You're not well aligned enough. So it's, it's a very superficial tactical sort of testing of the waters, but I find it very, very effective. So make sure you know how your sales or marketing leader takes their coffee. Mine doesn't take coffee. He drinks tea or he's actually back to decaf lately. So I know that, but <laughs> you need to understand how they take their coffee because that means you've got a regular cadence of communicating. You need to be communicating ideally on a weekly basis or or as needed, sometimes more than that, sometimes less than that. And what we did in these meetings is openly discuss where are our challenges right now? Is mid-market doing okay? Great. Let's talk about enterprise. Oh, we had a rep leave there. Can we transfer some pipeline and opportunities from one to another? Can we supplement pipeline for a segment that's hurting right now? What are we going to do about the declining win rates in in the third segment? So these are the type of things that when we discuss openly, we can come with solutions. The bad way of doing this is showing up to a broader meeting, say the, the weekly revenue meeting or pipeline meeting, and start finger pointing. And that goes back to the old cliches of marketing, providing junk leads to sales and sales not following up on the leads provided by marketing. And everyone's blaming each other. And then both of them go ahead and blame product for not having the right thing to sell. (laughs) It gets lots of fun at those meetings. But seriously, the right way of doing this is meeting one on one as often as you need to make sure that you're aligned. And when there are challenges, you can speak about them in the same way and present to the larger group your joint action plan for how you're going to attack this. And that increases the management confidence in both of you. I think that the counterintuitive thing here is that by deflecting blame on the other side, you're not making yourself look better. It just looks like you're avoiding responsibility. By working together and coming with a joint action plan, you're going to look a lot more responsible, and the organization is going to have a lot more trust in both of you.
0: Ah. And, you know, going back to one of the very first things you said, the onus is on the individual within the department to say, okay, am I communicating effectively? Am I selling the value that we can provide to marketing or marketing to sales? Like, am I, are we doing that? Or are we as a sales department, like, we're the big bad wolf. We can do whatever we want. We don't need you. Right. I had a former colleague reach out to me recently and she's a a director of marketing. And so she's trying to learn the business. Right. So she reached out to her colleague, the director of sales. And she said, Hey, can you set up some joint sales calls between myself and your sales reps? And he said, no, why, why do you need to go on calls with them? Right. And so it's like, Hmm, why do i need to why as a marketer do you need to go on sales calls right and i so i want to pose that to you why is it important for sales to be welcoming and marketing to be open to stepping into that customer's world
1: so i'll I'll answer that in two ways one i'll start with what you asked about which is why it's important but the second part i want to talk about how to actually go about doing that in a way that's conducive to that relationship and alignment and doesn't create more friction and more work for the salespeople. So it's super important because if marketing understands what sales is dealing with every day, they can be a much better partner and support them. The number one complaint that we hear from sales about everyone, whether it's marketing, or a product or finance is you don't understand what's going on here in the trenches. We need to get this feature to the customer telling product or else we're not gonna be able to close the deal. Marketing, you didn't send them enough gifts or invite them to enough events, that's why we're not closing the deal. Finance, you're taking too long with the payment terms and the redlining on the legal, so we're not closing the deal. So it can be everyone's fault, but if you're sitting with the salespeople in their weekly meetings and seeing what they're going through, you might actually go back to the marketing team and say, hey, this is what sales is going through right now. Can we come up with some ideas for a campaign or an event or a collateral that will help them with this deal or with this segment? And that's how some of the best things are created by listening to our friends in sales and understanding what they're going through in the trenches. So it's super important. And it goes back to that alignment that we talked about. Without that alignment, marketing is going to be the arts and crafts department. They're going to be creating their little brochures and making a pretty website and and sending out lots of nice swag. But is that going to support what sales needs right now? Who knows, because they're not aligned with what sales needs. So that importance I think is, is almost obvious. What I think is not obvious is how to go about it. And I think sometimes marketing forgets that the goal of marketing is to make sales easier. Marketing does not exist to win marketing awards or post cool stuff on social media. Marketing exists, in my view, to make sales easier. And when they succeed in doing that, then marketing is also elevated. If they don't succeed in doing that, if sales are not hitting their goals, nobody in marketing is going to be employee of the month because that is literally why the department was created to make sales easier. And so how do you make sales easier? Not by creating more and more meetings and taking salespeople away from their customer calls to sit with a marketer. They don't want to do that. You need to work within their schedule. You need to show up to the meetings they're already having. Every sales team has a weekly meeting, show up to that meeting, just be a fly on the wall, listen to what they're going through, where are they being challenged, then come up with some creative ideas that actually help them and either go do them or go talk to your sales counterpart about them. And you'd be surprised that suddenly they have a lot of time to listen to you because they see that you understand what they're going through and you came with a solution that could potentially help. So it's about taking the heavy lift on you, the marketer not creating more lift and work, not asking salespeople to go and update a million spreadsheets because you want to neatly track your marketing campaigns. You, the marketer, have to do that. Mm -hmm. If there's a follow-up to do after an event, take care of it in marketing. Sometimes you do need a small lift from the salespeople, but really minimize it in the way that it's clear to them that you're doing 90% of the work to make sure your marketing campaigns are running and Leave to the salespeople the absolute minimum that they need to do. That's how you're going to create a relationship of trust and value that sales see marketing as a valued partner and not as someone just creating work for them.
0: Mm, That's good. So again, it all goes back to what is the goal? What is the purpose? What do we each individually want to get from this meeting, this relationship? then how can we jointly work together and then like, don't make more work for anyone. We all have more than 40 hours a week worth of stuff to do. So make everybody's life as easy as possible. Absolutely. So you transitioned, you said you have been in companies, five different startups as marketing, and now you're in this role as a chief evangelist. How did you transition from being the CMO, the chief marketing officer to the chief evangelist? And what do you do?
1: So about a year ago, I I had a discussion with my CEO, and and we both agreed that it was time to bring in a CMO who could take Gong to the next level. I brought Gong from zero revenue to several hundreds of millions, and uh, we're now eyeing several billions. So as exciting as that is, I think some of what it takes to get us there is not within my passion area. Some of that is not within my current skill set, and I'm probably not excited enough about those things to go and make it part of my skill set. And I'm very honest about what makes me happy when I get up in the morning, what a good day looks like to me. Doing a podcast like this makes this a good day. I love speaking about our work, about our our vision, about my beliefs in, in marketing and leadership. And every day I get to do that is a good day. As a CMO, I didn't get to do that so often because I was buried in 10 to 12 Zoom calls every day, trying to coordinate every little part of the business and what we're doing. And so, this new role allows me to do actually more of what I love in many areas and allows us to bring in someone with the passion and skill set for what we need next at Gong. So, that's part of this transition. What I actually do today, to be honest, we're still building it. I've been doing this for only three months. So, it is a new role. We do have a set of like four different KPIs that we agreed on what success looks like. And we're trying to make sense of all that. But in the meantime, I am working on some things I can't share yet because. They're related to an upcoming product launch, so we're going to leave a little bit of element of surprise for when we come out with that in the next few weeks. But I am very excited to uh, be speaking with many sales and marketing leaders and professionals. I'm working with influencers in our industry to help propel our brand. I'm working with different partners who want to work with Gong in different capacities, whether in a go-to-market or technology partnership. So that is part of what I'm doing, and I'm helping with a lot of internal alignment. I continued to do sales marketing alignment by speaking with CMOs of our customers and prospects and even their sales leaders to tell them about how they can leverage Gong in different ways that they didn't even think of and share our experience from how we do this at Gong. So those are some of the things that keep me busy right now.
0: So you literally practiced what you preached. You found this is your passion, your skill set tied to the business objectives, and you made yourself this magical <laughs> position where you could just... You show up and literally you are walking in the the path and you're doing the things that you enjoy doing. I always tell people, Wesleyan, on her best day, I just get to show up and talk because that's what I love to do. And whether it's doing this or training a team or working with leaders, if I get to show up and I get to talk and impact lives, that is me at my best. And it sounds like that is you at your best. Agreed. So in your career, you've had a lot of fantastic and diverse experiences. Can you share an experience that has impacted the way you lead either personally or professionally?
1: Yeah, I think very early in my career, I was fired several times in my career. Once because the company was in financial strain, actually twice because financially was uh, in financial strain. Other times because it was not a great fit between me and the co-founders. And I think the first time that happened, my little bubble of job security burst and I kind of reassessed all the cliches around, oh, we're a family and we take care of our own and all that stuff there. And I don't use that term family to describe the workplace. I really don't use that term. I haven't for many, many years. And it's because I think work and family should be separate. They are different. If you're having trouble with a family member, you don't fire them, right? You don't usually part ways. Definitely not with your children or your parents. Sometimes between partners, that is the case, but definitely it's not the first go-to. And in business, because it's not a family, it is a different sort of relationship. It is a partnership. It is a mutually beneficial partnership. And as long as both sides are benefiting from it, we continue to show up at work. When the company can no longer afford your talent or doesn't need your specific skill set at this point, or if your passions have changed and you feel that you've given and taken everything that you could, it's perfectly okay to... Say farewell, give a bit of notice to do it in a tidy manner and move on to your next challenge. People expect that. Nobody expects you to come into work and stay there and retire in 30 years. They expect you to come, do a good run, and you expect the same. And that is very different from family. And so I try to, A, keep that in mind since that very early experience almost 20 years ago. And, two, I think I try to instill that mindset in my employees and the people that I work with as well. Like You're here now. This is fantastic for us. It's fantastic for you. When you feel it's time for you to move on, I will cheer you on to your next challenge. I will give you a recommendation. I will send you off with a party and no hard feelings as long as you're you're doing it in an amicable way and and you're not going to harm our company in any way. So that's one experience and how it kind of shaped my outlook on, on employment.
0: Yeah, it is very hard because, you know, people, we bring our personal lives to work and you spend a lot of time at work with your coworkers and colleagues. But at the end of the day, you're right. We work together. We respect each other. We have this relationship. But with the time comes, I don't want you to do something to harm your family, your children, your spouse, because you're so devoted to me, right? If you have a better opportunity out there, please go take the better opportunity. And yes, maybe it'll hurt for a little bit, but not forever. And Instilling that in your employees, it really helps them understand that you actually value them as a human, right? A lot of people would be like, No, 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 no. You're trying to be too hard and keep but no, I actually value you as a person and I care about your long term well being. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, Udi, this has been a fantastic conversation. Um, we've learned so much about sales and marketing alignment and creating our own path and our destiny. Um, if somebody wants to reach out and chat with you to learn more, what is the one best way they can get in contact?
1: LinkedIn is probably the best way. There, I promise there's only one Udi Lettergoer on LinkedIn, so I should be pretty easy to find. That's a story for another time. And uh, yeah, I'm happy to connect with our listeners. And uh, thank you so much for having me. Wesley, this has been wonderful.
0: Thank you so much for being here and sharing your time, talent, and expertise with us. And that was another episode of the Transformed Sales Podcast. In all that you do every day, try to get 1% better. Until next time.